Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. This episode of PMA Takes on Tech is sponsored by CropTrack. CropTrack enables food and beverage companies to improve their supply chain management from contracts to settlements. One trusted source of secure data at your fingertips. To track what matters, go to croptrack.com backslash PMA. Hello, today we're going to talk about cybersecurity and agriculture. Cybersecurity is a very important topic to our industry and to the food supply system. I have three speakers with slightly different takes on the problem and solutions. First, we will hear from Andrew Rose, who's an expert in the topic and is starting a cyber ag organization. Andrew gives us some broad information on what is happening now around cybersecurity. Then we will hear a deeper dive for action from Brian Dystra, CEO of Atlantic Data Forensics, followed by Bill Danker, a principal industry consultant from SAS with a view on ag. This is one of those new to me topics that seems to be what everyone is talking about now. But of course, it has been around for a long time and we have been warned to take precautions. What is bringing it to the forefront in the food supply chain right now is that the ag industry is particularly vulnerable because we haven't been paying as much attention. The ag industry has recently adopted a lot of new technology into our operations without the necessary security protocols. Every company is now a technology company and we need to protect ourselves as such. Let's jump into the conversation with Andrew, where he's talking about the advantages of starting the cyber ag organization in the Maryland area. If you think about cybersecurity nationally, we've got all of the big agencies in D.C., the NSA, the CIA, and a bunch of others who you probably have never heard about. And as employees um, work in those agencies, oftentimes will spin out and start government contracting organizations and then organizations that serve the private industry. So we've got a real good critical mass of these types of companies, um, individuals, thought leaders, and what have you. So that was it was almost a blessing to, to be able to stand this organization up in that area. And I've always stayed involved with cybersecurity. I've spent the last six years in agricultural finance. And it was funny. One of the first things I did when I came to the bank was I put on a tabletop exercise simulating an insider, insider attack on our systems from a cybersecurity angle. I just recognized that, that there wasn't a whole lot of awareness 
in the bank, we, we, we felt that, that, you know, our defenses were good, that we weren't necessarily a target and what have you. And, um, this was, it was a very instructive event. I won't go into too many of the findings of it, but, it, um, one of the, one of the outcomes was it helps us develop muscle memory. So if something like this does happen in the future, at least we're not relying upon, um, documents that may have been created by somebody else that we pull off the shelf and flip the page three and say, how do we contact folks? We, we actually put these things into, into play and into, into motion. Um, fast forward to um, late 2019, and I was invited to attend a private briefing from um, one of the head intelligence people on some of the threats that China posed um, for intellectual property theft to a multitude of industries. And after that briefing, I spoke to the person who, um, the, the authority there, and I said, you know, I'm in the agricultural sector. Is this, is this something we should be paying attention to? And um, his face went ashen and he said, oh my gosh, he goes, you, the agricultural sector itself is, it's so at risk right now. We need to get the message out there. Um, and in kind of almost simultaneously, I was recognizing, at least in the state of Maryland, that agriculture wasn't getting the attention from the economic development people that cybersecurity was. Um, in a nutshell, if you put the word cyber in the title of your company, people throw money at you and they don't really understand what you do. You have agriculture farming in your title and they tend to relegate you to the children's table. And so um, I approached a, a good friend of mine, Mike Tilkey, who runs an ag incubator called F3 Tech and said, Mike, we're going to put on a symposium about cybersecurity and agriculture. He said, Andrew, what does that mean? And I said, Mike, I don't know what it means, but we're going to do it anyway. And we're going to find out what, how, what, what comes of this. So I, I invited the intelligence community to come in and speak. And um, I reached out to the USDA and the USDA um, brought their chief information security officer out and we did a, a full symposium and it opened a lot of eyes. It really got the ball rolling. And, um, and this was love. before there'd been attacks in ag, right? Ooh, you know, Vani, you're reading my mind. Um, <laughs> so dumb luck. We put the symposium on one week before the solar winds breach hit the news. Oh my so gosh. we, we are very smart. We, we probably <laughs> looked a lot smarter than we actually are are, but timing being everything was fortuitous. There was a lot of attention given to us. We recognized immediately we had to do a follow-up symposium. Um, some of our friends, um, I'm in the Delmarva area, and we've got billions of dollars in poultry and, and broilers. And um, one of the large integrators is Purdue Farms. And they were um, seeing uh, many or some of their contract growers being hit by three threat actors in the cyber um, sector, and it was having a significant impact on those, um, those producers' businesses. So we approached the FBI, and we did, a, um, and this is, this is widely available, and, and I'm sure we can share links later, a video that describes some of the top attacks that are hitting growers right now, and the FBI then um, saying, here's the mitigation. Here's, you know, after, after the airbags have gone off, here's what you do, and here's why this matters, and here's how we will then perform. Um, and, and, and Vani, again, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it seems that this is really an escalating area of concern in the agricultural community. So 
as of August 1st, I've decided to leave farm credit and full-time run the Cybersecurity Agriculture National Center. And we're standing this up right now. It was an initiative and now it is a, it's a thing. And I'm, I'm very excited about this. And so the timeliness of, of this conversation is just fantastic. And I'm sure your listeners are going to be eager to hear um, what we have to, to share today. Yeah, I think when uh, I contacted you through Shauna Day, a mutual friend of ours, and and um, things were just going crazy for you that suddenly you're the expert and everyone wants to know about this and you're just starting to stand up this new organization. So um, it, it is a, a topic that suddenly everybody wants to know about. So if you can start, kind of walk us through, why is agriculture a target for threat actors? Like, why is ag important? You know, as, as much as, as important as we know agriculture is, um, when you look at the entire landscape across the country, agriculture typically falls at the bottom of a lot of lists. It is considered part of the critical infrastructure, one of 16 critical infrastructure categories, but we tend not to get any attention, um, both from the um, cybersecurity experts as well as the threat actors. And, and those days have ended. Mm. Um, I think that there is a um, a sense of complacency sometime in the agriculture sector because we haven't been hit as hard or as frequently. But now with the sophistication of the threat actors, they're looking for any target out there. And there's a dawning realization amongst our adversaries or, or those that um, have a financial interest in attacking us that there's a lot of leverage in food. You take food out of the equation um, and people get very, um, very hungry, very fast. Yeah. And, and it tends to healthcare is another one. I mean, you're seeing it in the hospitals. If you take a, a hospital offline, they're they're more apt to pay whatever ransom it is to get back online quickly. Um, very similar um, concept with food and taking that off the, the, the table, so to speak. Um, but, you know, going back to your question, it agriculture presents a lot of soft targets for the threat actors. Um, defenses are, are fairly porous at times. And if you look at the back end technology that a lot of the, um, you know, producers on up through agribusinesses are using, um, they're, they're not always state of the art. They never had to be. And, but this is a, a new day has dawned upon us um, in this aspect. So what are the current threats and what do you think the future threats are? That's another good question. This is an important one as well. The current threat, um, as of the latest data breach research that I've seen, um, are financial in nature. Um, there is so much money to be made by these, these criminal gangs out there holding people's information ransom, holding their, their supply chains ransom. People are paying that money. And it's. I think we, we need to back up a little bit and talk about ransomware itself. Um, everyone's probably heard of ransomware, but if you think about it philosophically, um, if you, if you put, your, put yourself in the shoes of a bad guy, and let's say you're just starting out Let's say you get into a company and steal that information. The, the amount of money you will get for that information on the black market degrades from the amount of time that you have it. So somebody recognizes their credit card's been stolen, they'll stop that credit card. Um, their, their personal notification information's been stolen, they'll put credit watches and things like that. So you need to sell it quickly. Now, if you're a buyer of this, this black market um, information, you want it to be fresh, but you also want to buy it from, from someone you trust, which, which sounds bizarre. So the, the large ransom 
ransomware gangs are the ones that people trust to buy this information from. Mm -hmm. So the smaller ones typically will sell that information upstream to the larger uh, resellers and they take a cut of that. They also will sometimes get into a system and typically they're in your system for four months is, is the average amount of time. So they move around laterally. They find out when the most vulnerable time to execute the, the lockdown, the encryption of your data is, and they sell all those keys upstream to large gangs. Um, and another thing to keep in mind for your listeners is when a ransomware um, team gets into your system, one of the first things they do is they try to disable your backups because they don't want you to have any kind of mechanism to recover that data or mm. um, take them out of that financial equation. Um, another one that we're seeing, it's not quite as prevalent as the ransomware on the financial side are competitors. And a competitor could be another business. There, there could be some sort of um, trade secret that um, another business would benefit from knowing about from what you have. It could be another nation state. Um, China doesn't play by the same rules we do. You know, they're, they're a country. They have their own ethos and how they operate. And if we're willing to have all of our information out there for the taking, they're just going to take it. Why would they spend all that money doing research if they can just get that right now out there from, from one of our competitors? And, and we can go in some case studies in a few minutes about that. And the other one that, that gets headlines, and I don't, you know, I haven't really done the, the percentage of these are the hacktivists. Those are the people that might um, not appreciate um, animal um, uh, livestock raising or um, processing um, and insider threats. There could be some folks out there that for whatever reason are dissatisfied with their employer and they're willing to um, either through malice or for financial gain, turn some of that information over. But far and away, the greatest one is ransomware. That's, that's the easy one, the easy target right now. Now, you mentioned the future. You know, we talk about the financial gain of some of these threat actors. In my humble opinion, the, the future are going to be adversarial nation states. It's, it's going to be very apparent that if they want to slow us down or cripple us in some way, going after our food supply is, is a, a target that, sh that I would imagine would be fairly high on their list. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it doesn't, and it it doesn't always have to be an adversarial nation state either. It could be a friendly nation state. Um, there are other countries that could benefit from a dip in our agricultural production in a given year um, that would then increase the amount of money they would make off of their exports or agricultural production. And, and one area that the FBI is, is really concerned about is something called deep fakes. And you may have heard about people whose images and voices are now being manipulated through computer and uh -huh. it's becoming more and more difficult to distinguish those voices or images from a real person. Um, this is an emerging threat and will only become more and more sophisticated as we go on. So it could be that you get a phone call from the CEO saying, hey, we've decided to change our banking relationships. Please change the wire information to here and send all of our money to this bank account instead. 
and and you will converse with this person. They will sound and use the same idioms that your CEO may use, and and you don't think twice about that. Or it could be you, and, and we can get into this later. You have an internal mechanism where no bank information can be changed or shared without the CEO's verbal approval, and you call the CEO up, and that CEO says, "Yes, thank you for calling me, and yes, execute that bank transfer the way I've I've told you to do." And it was a deep fake all along. So oh this. My gosh. It's future, but it's near shore future. Yeah. So how are these threat actors getting into agriculture businesses? You mentioned they they can go in and sit for four months. How do they even get in? So right now, as of the, the 2021 reports that I've read, the number one way is social engineering. So they identify people who might be in charge of finance or your CFO, and they have long-term campaigns to, to build a dialogue with these people. And the, the stuff I'm seeing now is mostly the threat actors are mostly human. But when we start talking about the use of artificial intelligence, yeah. they can do a lot more data mining. So I would imagine that we're going to, if it we're not seeing it today. We'll probably see it tomorrow. Are human beings utilizing artificial intelligence to gather more data so they know um, what kind of sports you like, they know what kind of food you like. They can build that dialogue and create a friendship with you and a rapport. And then I imagine in the not too distant future, those will be completely AI. You you might think you're you're having a conversation with a human or interaction with a human, and it's really a, a bot out there that's been trained to emulate another human being, and all that to get inside of your system. Um, we, you know, and again, I don't want to disparage the ag system, but we have a lot of unlocked doors. There are a lot of methods for folks to come in. Um, we talk a lot about the information, or I'm sorry, the Internet of Things. So all your sensors, all your cameras, all those other little nodes that someone can creep in, get into your system, and then start moving around laterally. Um, wow, so and, all these sensors that we're so excited about that are everywhere in the fields and and uh, giving all this information back and forth, those are those can be kind of portals of entry. They really can be um, portals for entry, but also portals to exfiltrate certain amounts of data. So right now, data is one of the new currencies in agriculture. And if, so, if you're leaking that data to somebody and they're, they're listening or gathering that data, now the value to you for that data decreases and, and they have access to that. Um, and, you know, going back to financial incentives, it's really if you're a, a threat actor and you want to get somewhere, the easiest thing to do is open the checkbook. You, I mean, ask 100 people and one will say, yes, I, you know, maybe they have financial issues, they're medical related or gambling related, or they're just greedy. It's it's very easy to buy somebody off. And, and our, our adversaries recognize that. Um, one of the um, associations that I follow quite closely is the Animal Ag Alliance. And they've done a really good job of understanding or identifying the hackivists and the insider threats and how to, how to, um, um, mitigate those types of things. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that association, but I believe some of their um, videos or um, uh, documents are available online for general viewing as well. So how that that's, sounds good. We'll have to put that in the notes. Um, what are some other ways that producers and agribusinesses, um, what, how can they protect themselves from this? Uh, well, you know, I think it all starts with identifying what are your crown jewels? What is that thing that is most essential to your business that would cripple you if that thing was lost or locked away or, or 
um, given to a competitor. Once you've identified that, then put the concentric rings of security around that. A lot of the stuff is pretty basic blocking and tackling. When that little window pops up to upgrade your Microsoft, click it and say yes. You know, always upgrade and patch. <laughs> oh, all those updates that I keep putting off, those? <laughs> oh, man. And they're annoying. I, I know they're annoying because sometimes they come unexpectedly and your computer goes blue for 20 minutes when in the middle of an email. They're crucial. And the reason they come in that way is Microsoft or whoever it is has identified a threat that somebody's utilizing right now. And they want to protect all the users. Please don't put those off. Um, an example is um, the Baltimore City School System. I'm, I'm from the Baltimore region. Put those off because they didn't want to be inconvenienced because they had to send emails out and the entire system got hacked and then locked out by ransomware. It's these things. It, it, it sounds very basic, but it's true. Another one is when you do your backups, when you when you take all that data and and you know whether you do it weekly or biweekly or daily. Um, take it and, and remove it from the computer. And, and they call that an air gap. So that makes it a little bit harder for those threat yeah. actors to come in there and, and to travel to that backup. And that way, it's a little bit easier to, to put that in there. Um, we talked about the information of, or I'm sorry, the Internet of Things. Um, put some passwords on these devices. Um, a lot of times they come with a factory basic password and people don't think to change that or, or update it at times. That, that's always a good idea. There's an, a, a term called multi-factor authentication. And you may have seen this where you log into a website and they text you a code. So it's two steps in order for you to access that. If you have an opportunity to turn that on, that's an important one. And those are and, so annoying, though. But you're telling me those are important that we should. And going forward, those. they're going to be ubiquitous. We have to, you know, gone are the days when you have a four-digit password and, and think your Hotmail account was was protected. So. <laughs> but it's the same password you've used everywhere. <laughs> it, it is, I know. And well, and, correct. <laughs> And that kind of goes to the next one is, is employee training on cyber awareness. There are a lot of organizations out there that provide basic training. It's just, you know, here's what a suspicious spoofing email would look like. Here's when you want to pause before you click on that link and do that thing. And then maybe send out some rudimentary testing. You know, you put the employees through this. Well, let's just send out a fake phishing email and see who clicks on it because that's the person yeah. that you probably want to have go through additional exercises. Um, I love taking tabletop exercises. I know it takes a lot of staff time to do these. It's a, you know, four to six to eight hour session, but you have everyone sit around the table and go through the what if scenarios. Let's mm -hmm. just say that we, everyone comes to work in the morning and all of our computers go black. What do we do now? And then kind of walk through these exercises and you start identifying different gaps that you might have there in your crisis plans. Um, you, you know, I won't go too deep in that because you always discover things and you probably don't want to show this publicly where the holes are. Um, and then last, there, there is cybersecurity insurance. And a lot of people think, well, I pay the premium, so I don't have to worry about that. What they don't recognize is cybersecurity insurance. Um, they're becoming more and more reluctant to pay out if you don't have good um, internal controls, if you're not following these things that you should. Conversely, if you do follow these things and you have best practices and you can demonstrate that sometimes there's a reduction on premium or you get more coverage uh, for your dollars. So it's hygiene matters a whole lot. Yeah, and I think on the insurance piece, from what I've heard too, is that you may get your 
your finance, you may, they may help you financially, but you may have had a, a huge reputation hit that you can't recover from. If, if they've gone into your customers and attacked your customers, you've lost some trust there. So insurance, you know, uh, doing hygiene upfront is, is better than insurance, but uh, insurance can help. So what can a producer or a business do if they are attacked? You know, we've, we've heard even in our industry, in the produce industry, there have been a couple of ransom attacks where the companies didn't, they paid the ransom because for all the reasons we know, it's just cheaper to go ahead and pay it and move on. But is that the best thing to do? What should people do if they're attacked? That's a great question. Um, I know that we have uh, somewhat of an international audience for this podcast. Um, From the United States, there's a website called ic3.gov. They should go there immediately, log what has happened. And that website is a portal for all of the law enforcement intelligence community. So that triggers a response, number one, but it also logs trend analysis. The, The law enforcement would love to be able to get ahead of these. So if they start seeing a certain sector or a certain methodology being used to go after these companies, they can start getting ahead of that and either putting warnings out there or starting to anticipate what the next move is. I'm a huge proponent of bringing the FBI in as soon as possible. And I know some that makes some people nervous when you call the FBI. The FBI is very clear. They are there to impose risk and consequence on the bad guys. They want to make it, they, they don't, they're not there to blame you for doing something that you shouldn't have done, clicking on a link or letting somebody in. They're there to find the bad guys and, and impose consequence upon them. Um, the FBI will, will also tell you, don't pay the ransom. And, and, you know, this is one of those push and pull things. Some companies, this is a cost of doing business. You know, if you're a colonial pipeline and now there is no more gasoline in the Northeast United States, yeah, yeah you're probably going to pay that, that Bitcoin ransom um, and, and see what happens. Now, here's where the supposition comes in. I don't know necessarily who took dark side that ransomware gang offline. I don't know who seized their servers or clawed back some of that Bitcoin payment, um, nor do I think the FBI would ever admit to being part of that. But that's the consequence. And the risk is now the next threat actors can say, ooh, maybe I, should, maybe I shouldn't mm-hmm. go after the gas pipelines, which the, their, their new inception has, has put that as a public statement. The bad guy said, we won't go after the critical infrastructure. <laughs> we won't do this. It's, it's a cat and mouse game. And then you, you talked about the ransom payments. That's, you know, ultimately it's a business decision to be made. Um, the, I, again, the law enforcement community would rather you not do that. Um, it makes their job more difficult. And yeah. also they'll let you know that if you pay that ransom, now you're out there on the, the dark web bulletin boards as somebody who stroked a check oh, to yeah. get your data back. So now you're you're more likely to be attacked. Um, but I can see it from a business standpoint too. You know, I, I'll pay the million dollars just so I my $20 million or $100 million business can get back online as quickly as possible. Next, we will hear from Brian Dystra from Atlantic Data Forensics. Brian has been at this for a while. He talks about the easy things we can do to protect ourselves. Here's Brian. Sure. So I'm uh, Brian Dykstra. I'm the uh, CEO of Atlantic Data Forensics. We're a, they call it DFIR provider. So we're a digital forensics and incident response uh, company. 
which means that uh, we're, we're the folks that you call when you got ransomware or, or you had some fraud or business email compromise or, you know, we, we just handle people's worst days, really. Um, and, and we do it over and over. We do hundreds of instruments every year, thousands over the past 15 years. Um, got started doing this. Uh, well, so I, I grew up as a farm kid in Oregon, uh, joined oh. the military, uh, got a FFA chapter president. Um, <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, got got into um, uh, you know military intelligence with the with the uh, army. Worked uh, you know human and technical intelligence. Um, and of course, when you leave the military, what you do is you go to a defense contractor. Um, it's an easy transition back into the world. Uh, end up teaching uh, uh, cybercrime at the FBI Academy at Quantico for a few years to the oh, uh, wow. to the super cops, and uh, and that just sort of you know continued on that that career from from there uh 2003 kevin mandy and i started a little company called mandy and it turned out okay it's a multi-billion behemoth now um so you know just this is this is what i do uh, all day every day so um do you work in the food supply chain is this an area that you've had some involvement in we we do. Uh, we we work uh, both in the in the food supply side as well as uh, in the grower side, the equipment provider side. Because no, nobody right now is is you know is is invulnerable from you know ransomware or you know these business email compromise attacks that lead to further ACH fraud things like this. I mean the the, the attackers that are doing this, the threat actors that are doing this. They don't really care what your business is. They, they care less about what you do for a living. They're about your bank account. Right. Um, and then since all, every business has one, the threats now spread across every industry. So so where oh, in the past we might have been sectored around, you know, regulated data industries, healthcare, finance or things like this. Now we're dealing with everybody um, because it just they, they don't discriminate anymore. It just doesn't matter. And, and, you know, we've seen that in the press recently. Right. It's all kinds of different companies and all different you know industries getting hit. Um, so. Uh, so is that, but for ag tech, you know, and, and ag, just the larger ag communities and stuff like this, um, you know, extra vulnerable just because there hasn't been a lot of attention really paid to this over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. I mean, there's, there's been some discussions here and there and, uh, you know, the, you know, USDA has got a nice little website, you know, report it does maybe, but, you know, but they're, they're not really, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of emphasis in, in, you know, in, in the uh, larger agriculture and food community in, in, into that sort of thing. And so unfortunately, you know, we're sitting on a lot of tech debt there. We just have, you know, we've, we've started to bring these technologies into, into everything we do and, and, and into the manufacturing process and packaging and shipping and transportation, you name it, without a lot of security oversight into, you know, what's, what's been added on there and, and you know, and, oh, and what happens if something goes wrong. So are there specific things that the food supply chain should be concerned about that are specific to, to food and ag? Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's kind of, you know, problem number one is, is ransomware, right? Because, um, you know, it, it, while it's highly preventable, you know, it, it doesn't take much to, to keep, you know, ransomware threat actors from getting to your company. Um, most, most companies just aren't even aware of what they need to do to prevent that. And it, it's really simple little things. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, securing the, the perimeter of your network uh, properly. 
Um, unfortunately, most of the ransomware uh, that we handle, uh, they, they walk right in the door through unsecured services and things like this that the companies had there for years. Oh, we just always did it like that. Well, the hackers will find that and they will make you pay for that. Um, there's still this idea that you know you can use a user ID on, and password on the internet and that's good enough. Um, that's not good enough anymore. That hasn't been good enough for the last few years. You have to use, you know, what they call multi-factor or two-factor authentication, um, which we, we've all seen. I mean, your, your bank probably makes you do it now, or you know, PayPal makes you do it, and all these these other companies make you do it. Um, it's really annoying. <laughs> it, it, it is maybe, but but is it really? I mean, yeah. On, how many times a day do you push a button on your phone anyway? I mean, you got to put four or five, six characters in just to log into the darn thing. You know, it's not really that big a deal to go, yep, that was me logging into the VPN. Click. You know, yeah. um, is, no, is, I think that's is really, really annoying, or do we just like dislike the idea of, of you know there's change necessary? And and the reality is we just don't like change. Um, but that's what gets people into trouble. Um, because you know, most again, the ransomware we deal with, the the threat actor logs in right through their VPN because they've stolen a user ID and password there, and then they're inside their network. And they go about, you know, deploying their ransomware and so on. There's also that that prevalent idea out there that's just really old, uh, you know, really old in internet time, which makes it, you know, three or four years old. Um, but, you know, somehow, you know, John in marketing clicked on a link and that's how we all got ransomware. That hasn't been how we got ransomware in the last three to five years. Um, that's oh. just not, not real anymore. But unfortunately, that's companies tend to put all their emphasis on that sort of idea. Um, so, you know, so how do we get it? How does it get in? We get it through stolen user IDs and passwords. Mm -hmm. Um, and they actually log right into our network through our own remote access, through our Citrix, through our VPN, there are things like that, that aren't secured up. And then they just go to town and they deploy it from the inside of the network. Um, and then, you know, the same thing we don't have, most companies have little to no visibility inside their network. Um, as to what's going on, you know, from server to server to computer yeah. to computer. Um, I'm constantly amazed by how many, you know, multi-million dollar companies I work with that don't even have antivirus on their, you know, their computers and their, you know, it might be on their desktops, but somehow their cloud and server environment, they don't have anything, you know, running on them and they can't see what's going on. And so they're, they're just easy picking for, uh, for, you know, a ransomware threat actor. And then unfortunately there's lots of them out there taking advantage of that situation. Um, you know, and, and, and realistic, we look at those, you know, two-factor authentication, you know, control the bad stuff on the edge of your network and, and put two-factor on things or, uh, you know, AV on things. That's not, that's not a hard, that's, that's not a hard thing to do. I mean, that's, those are all pretty low bar sort of things. And maybe the last thing is just, you know, when that pop-up pops up and it says, would you like to patch? Say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just say say yes. So, you know, Google puts a little thing in the corner and says, you know, restart the update. Say yes. You know, say just it's free. It's yeah, percent free. But we find all the time, you know, folks running just horribly outdated, you know, uh, software, and that that's the other way that uh, they easily uh. take advantage of us. And and it's you know, the the threat actors that are out there right now, they're not. It's it's not super sophisticated. Know, not to say that there aren't, you know, nation state threat actors out there that are pretty sophisticated. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. I've seen some, some exploits by those that are unbelievably complicated. <laughs> but your average ransomware threat actor that's going to, you know, cause most of us problems, they're, they're not 
sophisticated. They're taking advantage of the really, really simple stuff, which is, you know, like I just said, the, the things I just listed, just the really easy stuff. They're not doing anything complex. They're they're not they're not particularly skilled. They don't have to be. Yeah, no, exactly. Into most places. So. so do you work with companies to help um, prevent attacks or are you mostly what's I, I would love to. I really would. I, you know, um, and, and we do get an opportunity to, in fact, I'm going out to a big uh, airlines company next week, uh, you know, that, that's really focusing on getting ahead of the threat to their operations. Um, but in general, people don't. Mm. Right. Because you've got other business priorities and I get it. I, I own yeah. a company. You've got other business priorities, other things you're worried about. The next two customers you're onboarding, things like this. We'll, we'll get to that IT, whatever, somewhere down the road. And that's this, you know, mistaken idea that, you know, whatever your business is, that it isn't also a technology company. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. We don't have any non-technology companies anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we do, but they're few and far you know, between most of us. We really rely on that technology nowadays just, just to make anything happen. Um, and, and so it deserves that level of importance uh, within the company. And, you know, so some companies are starting to catch on to that idea, but, but for the most part, that is just not the case. And unfortunately, I end up just getting, you know, the call at, you know, three in the morning on a Saturday morning type <sighs> thing. And, uh, so what should people do like when they when they are attacked? Do they they should call you at three in the morning or what? Yeah, what I mean, that's what we have a one eight hundred number for is you call us twenty four seven, real personal answer the phone and, and help you out. Um and they should but, do that quickly, right? Like if Yeah, you, you want to get ahead of it um as, as much as possible. I mean, you know, what, what you should really be doing, you should be planning ahead of it, knowing that you aren't gonna do that. Um, yeah, you should have some sort of plan for if we do get in trouble, where do I call? Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of times folks just don't know. They've never, ever thought about what might happen. And so we see some of the, you know, <laughs> and clients that called their CPA firm. I don't know why. Like, that was their first call. You're like, wow, wow. Mm, I'm not sure what that was about, but okay. You know, or they call their IT company. It was probably, you know, the ones that, you know, got them involved in some of that to begin with. So yeah. that's not necessarily a help. And, and, you know, there's just a lot of things, you know, going on out there. Um, other folks call their local police department or, you know, or try and call the FBI or stuff like this. They're not going to help you. They're more than happy to take the report, but, uh, you know, cause it, it feeds the stats engine, but they, uh, they don't send teams of people out to, to help you get it corrected or tell you what to do or anything like that. So, yeah, so in a lot of cases, you're on your own um, and, it, and it takes just just a little bit of prep work. I mean, you know, get with your insurance provider, uh, talk to them about, you know, cybersecurity insurance. And, you know, maybe I need to add something on that's getting much more expensive and harder to get nowadays. I bet. Um, but uh, again, because of ransomware. Um, but, you know reach out to or even your existing IT provider you know um honestly they they've probably been coming to you for a while and saying hey I want to pay attention to this security <laughs> ideas you probably been going nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I don't need to hear any more of that um but you know maybe maybe take a listen go hey you know what what do you what do you guys got what do you, you know what's what, what are we missing uh things like that you know to try and get a little bit ahead of it and what about the people that just say, okay, I'm just going to pay because that's cheaper than. Right. So, I mean, this. we look at all of this as, you know, so, so we, we negotiate with, with ransomware threat actors on a regular basis. 
Um, and, and we do pay ransoms on behalf of our clients. Um, but it's only in about 15% or less of the cases that we actually do that. Um, so, so we take a real close kind of business look at what is our business case for paying this? Why, why do we you know, pay? Now, if you have a company where, you know, look, we have no backups and 100% of our systems are, are you know, encrypted up and, and, you know, we're just stuck. All right, you're going to need to pay. There's not a lot we can do for you. But if we've got partial backups or some backups or, you know, we can get this system, you know, that's necessary for business operations back up and running, you know, by, by reinstalling or, or you know, uh, reestablishing it or things like that, um, you know, maybe maybe there's not a great business reason for us to pay for a decryptor and things like this. Um you know, it varies because, you know, if you have data stolen, which is a common part of these ransomware events now, you're still going to have to do all that reporting. So if you had you know, lost HR data, you're going to report to state's attorneys generals. And if you have regulated data, you're going to have to report to government agencies. You're going to get penalized and all these things. So you're going to do all of that anyway, whether you pay or didn't pay. So that's not really a factor. You're going to do all those things, you know, and if you have customers, you're going to have to do, you know, credit you know, monitoring for them. And, you know, maybe you're employees. So you're already going to pay all those things. You're going to deal with all those legal fees and, and sort of that. So, you know, if, if, you know, there's probably not a reason to pay to, to try and get your data back. And that's the other thing is this idea that you're going to get your data back. You're going to get your data back, but they're also going to keep a copy of it and they're going to yeah. sell it immediately on the dark net. And then that's just what they do. You know, all your your big uh, uh, hacking groups do that. Um, so that idea that you're somehow going to magically give you data back or things like this, not without a copy going out for sale, because they're very much like organized crime. You know, they're they're there to make it a, a buck. Um, and you know, there's there's value in your data. It might not be a lot of value, but it's got value to somebody, and somebody will be willing to buy it. You know, yeah. and that's just more cash in their pocket for you know, no no to little work. So. Okay. Well, I think I know I have no good news for you. I know. Parties. <laughs> um, well, I'll make sure and put a link to your company in the show notes. That. And um, I think it's just good. Just, just these conversations. It's really important for people to hear them and how important and, and easy some of the mitigation is. So thank you very much. I appreciate you the time. Pleasure. Thank you. Now we will hear from Bill Danker of SaaS. Bill's role is to deliver technology solutions to the ag industry and include cybersecurity in those solutions to keep us safe. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Bill Danker. I am a principal industry consultant with SaaS, uh, statistical and analytics company um, here based in Cary, North Carolina. And my responsibilities here are really to... Uh, provide support and help in the delivery of um, analytical solutions for agricultural companies. And that includes uh, the delivery of ag agricultural systems to help and make decision support and analyzing yield and improving nutrient content, and also looking at cybersecurity of those solutions and how they could potentially, uh, what they need to do to keep themselves safe and the in, the, in the application, a lot of these applications. So are there specific things that agriculture companies should be concerned about? And what are the potential kinds of attacks that you've seen in, in looking in this area? Well, there's always the normal, uh, they're after your personal information. I call that the baseline. We're all aware of it. Um, uh, folks use phishing attacks or other kind of uh, types of attacks 
to try to get your personal information so that they can steal your identity and go with it. From an agricultural perspective, um, that's always going to be a concern, particularly for farmers, uh, uh, large farming operations. You don't want to get hacked and then have your personal information stolen and have to deal with it. I do think in today's world, it's more at the ransomware level. Mm-hmm. So we've got the recent example of JBS, the, the beef packing company, um, the uh, pipeline that got shut down. Those are all examples of ransomware attacks. And for those that maybe don't understand what that is, is um, nefarious groups, they, they get uh, bots implanted in your systems. They're able to then put an encryption layer across all of your data. This goes on for a while. It doesn't happen overnight. They're in, this thing gets, and then they wait for the opportune time they can shut down your systems basically. Everything gets encrypted and you can't read it. And then suddenly you can't operate. And they'll wait for the right time, like the end of the month or when the dollars are gonna come in that you're most exposed because what they're after is money. Mm. All that matters. They're not, they're not after stealing IDs, they're just after the money. But the exposure it is for us, at least from an agricultural perspective, is they can shut down aspects of our agricultural pipeline. And that's a major concern for us um, as an industry. Uh, in terms of what folks should do about it, you can go to all of the standard, uh, you know, make sure that everybody is password protected and you're doing all of the sort of the baseline security protocols in place. But what I would recommend to a lot of folks is you do a tabletop test of your systems. So if you've got, particularly from a ransomware perspective, plan it out. Pretend like you got an attack. Take a look at your backups. How often are your backups being run? Can I restore from those backups and be running within a day or two? Um, the ransomware attacks, if they're there long enough, they'll make it into your backups. So even going to that isn't going to help you. Oh. And have you thought through the implications of all that? So I know I went a little bit, little bit long there, Bonnie, but uh, uh, that's where I think the biggest threats are at today. And how do they get in? How do they even get a foothold in and and start getting inside your programs. It's 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 malware that sneaks its way in and they're getting very, very good at it. I uh, I was just at a, um, we held a forum last week on cybersecurity. This is the one that I didn't even know about. So in today's world, you go into a restaurant and you scan the barcode. Yeah. So you can get the menu up and then you can look at the menu for the restaurant. Depending upon the security protocols that that restaurant chain has implemented, it's possible to get malware embedded in that barcode. You've scanned it, it's now on your phone. It's now creeping through your phone, your systems. I don't want to scare everybody with that one, but the potential is out there. Any kind of those phishing attacks, you get the, the text messages that says, hey, looks like Wells Fargo, you need to respond to this. Any of those layers where you accept it, and then you've got something kind of coming back onto your phone or onto your device, that's how they get in. And you won't know it. It's a bot that then takes off and then it starts replicating itself throughout your systems. And those, should the backups that you do, I mean, are you protected by, if you keep your your updates up to date or is there any way to protect yourself there? Um, it, you definitely want to have sort of that um, disaster recovery protocols in place, again, for companies where you're taking the backups either weekly or monthly, Every six months, you've stored some of them away. It depends on how much you're changing things. Again, as you're changing applications that you're running with, that might impact how you might recover. Because you might have to go back six months to that backup and then restore and run from that. So what's the implications if you have to do that? Um, You can have backups that go back one, two years. And then that you're going to be relatively safe. The issue, and this is why I recommend the tabletop, 
exercise. Well, what if we had to go back a year and restore everything? What are the implications to the business? Um, and can I effectively do that and be back up and running so I'm not having to pay the ransom? And for a lot of companies, they just pay the ransom. There's yeah. a lot of ransomware attacks you, you and I will never hear about because they hit at the right time. The finance guy looks at the dollars and goes, we're going to lose this much money. So they're going to cost me this much to pay them. We keep it under the covers. We pay them and we go on. So when you do pay them, like, do you get your data back and do you, are you holding or like what happens if you do go ahead and pay the ransom? They basically release that encryption that was spread through your systems and all your data becomes readable again. You're basically you're up and running in a matter of, of a few minutes. But then do they sell your data? I mean, do you? They could. That is the other that is the other issue. I, I um, When we talk about this, they're after money. Right. So, and you hit on the second one that's also very important. Any intellectual capital that you've developed as a company, if they've gotten in, chances are they've pulled that off and they could leverage it um, to get money in other ways. Uh, the other one I thought was interesting uh, that I learned about last week was, you know, what if uh, you know that uh, you've penetrated a company and you then announce it that they're going to get shut down via the dark web, whatever. I can now have partners that can short that stock. And oh then when gosh. it actually hits the press, this company is shut down. Their stock takes a dive while they try to recover from it, pay it off. They make money both ways. They make money on the ransom that they clear it, but they also make money if they're getting really that smart. I mean, so the the challenges are many. <laughs> yes. So what should a company do if you come in in the morning and you try to start your computer up and, and you've been attacked? What what are the different options of what companies and, should and do? And most companies, um, uh, there's usually a help desk where you call somebody right away and say, hey, I, I've experienced this. I uh, uh, In a previous company, I won't say which one, um, I got a strange email and it looked like a phishing email. So what I did was pick up the phone and call the security office right away and say, hey, I've got this. Um, and there was a couple of times they're like, oh, Bill, can you forward that to me or send me a screenshot of it so we can look at it? And then they can shut it down on their end in terms of understanding the IP, where it's emanating from, and get it shut down that way. From a SaaS perspective, I, I talk about what we do. Um, we've got algorithms in place that can monitor internally what's going on across a lot of your systems. And we can flag when something out of the ordinary starts to transpire, may not be an attack, it might be an attack, but it raises the awareness of something going on in the data. And you can then highlight your security folks who can take a look at it quickly and understand if they are under attack and respond to it much more quickly. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, I think that's given people some things to keep them awake at night. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> always be vigilant. It, it's always a matter of being vigilant and, and being aware of the different types of attack. And, and again, I can't stress enough doing the tabletop exercises. A lot of companies, they've got a disaster recovery plan. They've got a plan in place. Run those through, practice them. It'll, it'll really help you be better prepared. Great. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. This has been eye-opening for me to learn about both how bad threat actors can be, but also how easy it is to block a good majority of the threats. Hope this was helpful. See you next time. That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. 
Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time.